That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Aaron, here we are, and um, gosh, we're in the Easter season, but I'm already thinking about Christmas. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's April 24th. So. You just, you just, you've um, still been eating too many stale peeps, and it's, it's messed yeah, up your brain. Right. <laughs> That's right. It's gone right to the head. Yeah. So, but uh, we are, uh, no, we're in the midst of uh, the season of Easter, and today's a very significant uh, day in the Easter season. It is uh, Good Shepherd Sunday. El and so, buen pastor. Um, I love it. Look at you, dropping a... Uh, Dropping the Spanish. Yep, that's right. So, as traditional in the Episcopal Church for El Buen Pastor Sunday, you should be eating lots of Al Pastor tacos. Yeah, a lot of that's what we do. Yep, yep. A lot of people <laughs> don't realize the Episcopal Church was the one who brought tacos to this country uh, in the early 17th century. Um, that's right. So that's the kind of uh, objective facts you get from same old song. Yeah, no, it is Good Shepherd Sunday, and the reason. Oh, you want to say something? Do you want to know the truth about an Al Pastor taco? I do know the truth, but I'll let you Al, tell the story. Well, Al Pastor Tacos actually came to Mexico by way of Lebanon and Syria. During the Ottoman Empire in the uh, late 19th, early 20th century, there was a huge influx of uh, Lebanese and Syrian uh, uh, immigrants who settled in Mexico, specifically in Oaxaca State and Mexico City. And they brought with them the delicious uh, shawarma thing, you know, yeah, the, spinning with the lamb meat. meat. Yep. And uh, they eventually added some adobo to it and mixed it up with uh, various and different types of uh, savory uh, uh, meat and uh, made a delicious taco of it. And it is the official taco of Mexico City, the Al Pastor taco. Thank you. I feel a little sidelined by you um, oh. as a, you know, as a half Mexican person. Uh, uh-huh. No, I'm, I'm sort of being funny <laughs> here. Uh, but I was going to say my family largely in mexico lives in yucatan as you know in and around Mm -hmm. the city of merida and uh, a huge lebanese syrian population there as well and uh and several by marriage i have several family members who you know deeply devout roman catholic mexican lebanese folks who um Mm -hmm. who will happily tell you all about this And, and my um one of my uncles ran a sort of a Mexican restaurant in Medellin for some time that was kind of was like Mexican and Arabic food because of this reason. So yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of that mixing of cultures and uh, a lot of the Lebanese mm-hmm. Syrian merchant class that came to Mexico. So yeah, mm-hmm. it is. No, I don't. Anyway, but back to Good Shepherd. Back Sunday. to Good Shepherd and <laughs> Good Tacos. Uh, the um, the reason this is called Good Shepherd Sunday is because the collect. Well, it says it right in there. Oh, God, whose son Jesus is the good shepherd of your people. Grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name. And this is all the readings. Yeah. Three out of the four readings, the psalm, the psalm 23rd, the Lord is my shepherd. 
First Peter talks about Jesus being the shepherd and guardian of our souls, and John 10 is all about, and that's the main thing, the, the um, I am the gate for the sheep and all that, and all that, right. that whole shepherd well, speech and, Jesus. Acts and is a little being bit of a shepherd stretch, is, but. and being a shepherd is one of the earliest actually illustrations of Jesus. So, uh, you know, from the very uh, earliest days of the church, Jesus was always, you know, painted on the walls or um, understood as a shepherd. One of the first images of Jesus is um, as the good shepherd with the she- holding, uh, carrying a, a lamb around his neck. So, you think you'd make a good shepherd, Jake? Uh, I would not, but maybe we should dedicate to this episode to a great shepherd, uh, the Reverend Dr. Leander Harding. Oh, yeah. Who is uh, the rector of uh, All Saints in uh, uh, Cathedral in Albany, is the dean of All Saints Cathedral in Albany, New York. Our former seminary so. professor and was an actual shepherd. And I, you know, yeah. not just metaphorically of people, you know, in the, in the church, but uh, actual sheep. He could talk to you about mm-hmm. shearing all day long. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and what to do with an orphaned you, and so anyway, it's good, you know. <laughs> Leander, uh, we know you're listening. Shout out to yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. but we our readings today. We've we've uh, rambled enough, and people are like, "Get maybe at the too goods." Much, too much. Uh, yeah, maybe we should start over again. No, no, no. no I'm just that's kidding. A, this but is our uh, second take. Acts chapter. That's a little our, button is for like advanced thirty seconds. <laughs> skip ahead. Skip ahead. Skip ahead. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 25, and then John 10, verses 1 to 10. And so uh, we come to Acts chapter 2, and this is a very, very powerful passage. This is uh, right after Peter's wonderful sermon, and uh, everybody says, you know, what must we do to be saved? And Peter belts out, repent and be baptized, each and every one of you. And this is a gift for you and your children, and 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. And, uh, and uh, all of a sudden we see, uh, uh, you know, all of a sudden people, you know, following a, a, a list of rules and things to do to be really good Christians and, uh, you know, really getting down and pressing in and, uh, you know, and following exactly word for word as the disciples told them what to do. I'm waiting for you to cut me off as I... No, I mean, do, keep going. No, so, yeah. I was just going to see how far you can take it. The um, the amazing thing about this passage is it does describe what most preachers today want their congregation to do more or less. They want their congregation to give money away to the work of the Lord, to the church. They want people to spend time in fellowship, be in the cell group or the life group or the small group or the accountability group. They want people to... Um, uh, you know, be part of the congregation and do good work out in the world. All those things, uh, serve the poor, feed the hungry, all that. Preacher, whether you're liberal or conservative, most of you are at least telling your congregation to do some of these things, if not all of them. And what's amazing in this story is that there's no one specifically telling them to do these things. It seems to come out of these people as a just a fruit, a work of the Spirit. Uh, it's a very natural um, thing. That's just, uh, I think, a beautiful picture of what the Christian life looks like. Not because it is demanded, yeah. not because people are guilted into doing it, but because they are um, yeah. people who've been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And and God, yeah. and I love the last sentence, and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Again, they're not out there. Yeah. Like there's a, a certain religious organization right now in Waco, Texas, that's on every street corner downtown with a little rack of books and people wearing a little uh, 
um, their little ties and their little skirts and stopping passersby. And Jehovah Witness. I'm not going to say it. Uh, no, we have them in the subway. Um, and so, but anyway. anyways, I mean, there's some good that they're out there wanting to spread the word, I guess. Uh, but here, there's no like aggressive tactics. It's just the Lord is adding to the number. There's there's something so beautiful yeah. and winsome and um, compelling about the way of life. It's so countercultural mm-hmm. then and now. But I mean. Now we're sort of used to the idea of Christian communities living this way. There may not be a ton of them, but we all heard of monks and nuns and Cistercians and Franciscans, and we're sort of aware that this exists, even secular models of this. We, we went to a seminary that was just down the street from a, the Harmonist Society that was sort of the similar deal. But in Roman times, the idea of people doing this, like giving away money, having a common checking account for everybody just to share with those if there was any need, all that, this is very, very countercultural. It's based on weakness, yeah. not strength. It's based on sharing, not greed. It's just sort of this amazing thing, and it's coming naturally, not because, again, as anyone is demanding it, but it's just a work of the Spirit. Well, and I think that's the key word in this particular text, is they, they, those who had been baptized devoted themselves. They weren't demanded of. And there's a difference, because devotion really um, illustrates a heart change. And if you notice, uh, they devoted themselves to four very specific things. And this is really, I, I know, Low it's my carbs, hope that... The, yeah, intermittent fasting. <laughs> that's right. Tracking and uh, and drinking eighty gallons of water a day. Kombucha, um, was but the fourth thing. <laughs> yeah. or yeah. other no. Fermented. But they devoted themselves to four specific things. Listen, um, uh, anybody can dig a well. Um, anybody can you know run a soup kitchen. That's true. Uh, there's only one institution under heaven and earth which has been dedicated and devoted to these four things. The Apostles' Teaching. What is that? Uh, Well, go back and read Peter's sermon, that Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead and made him the Lord of all things. And then they got together for fellowship. They had a really killer coffee hour. And then breaking of bread. They had communion when they got together. And then prayers. They had a really amazing liturgy. Listen, if you're really struggling and you've got all sorts of things going on in your church and you've got a staff of like seven or maybe a staff of one, one, uh, focus on this, devote yourself to these four things, work on your sermon, make sure you got a killer coffee hour, you know, with some, maybe some donuts or, you know, a step up from like, you know, the, the Danish biscuits and, uh, um, breaking of bread, have communion and then the prayers, make sure your liturgy is good. And, uh, all these things, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Amen. Well, we've seen this beautiful picture of the early church, these sheep under the good shepherd. There's nothing specifically shepherdy about this passage, except it does talk about what it looks like when sheep get together under that yeah. good shepherd. Um, but then we get into explicit shepherd territory in First Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25, um, in this conversation about what Christians should do or how we should think about suffering and its place in our life. Um, but it ends with this line, for you were going astray like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. So that's the other shepherd mm. terminology you got here. But if you were preaching on First Peter 2, 19-25, um, this passage on suffering, um, what might you say about it, Jacobus? Yeah, well, you know, at first glance, this can really seem like um, a little bit prescription. And so when I first read this at face value, it makes me a little nervous. Um, But when you read it within the context of the greater epistle, and you have to talk about that a little bit to set the tone, and ideally, if you've been preaching on the, the, you know, for the past couple of weeks, you've hit on Peter, um, 
You can talk about a church that's really suffering, a church that's being persecuted. And so much of Americanity um, uh, or, uh, you know, American Christianity, whether it's left or right, has focused on, you know, um, on like living well and, uh, you know, your best life now and discovering your purpose. And really, um, uh, you know, what, what we need to remember is that oftentimes with Christianity comes great suffering. With Christ- Nobody's promised a perfect life in Christianity. And uh, just as our, our great shepherd suffered, um, so so will we. Yeah. And uh, and but to know that um, suffering um, is not contingent upon God's favor for you, uh, rather um, that's such a platonic idea that what I see uh, below and going on around me must mean. Uh, what's going on above me. And so like, so if things are good, then God must be really happy with me. If things are going bad, then God must be upset with me. And uh, what Peter is saying is like, none of that is true. Uh, Rather, um, each and every one of us to be a Christian means that um, you uh, have a cross flung on your back and we're all called to carry our cross and know that the good shepherd is uh, leading us um, through his death all the way. Yeah, that's right. And I think, uh, there, I was just teaching this morning about First Samuel chapter 5, in the latter half of that chapter where David has become king. He's waited for this for like 10 years. He's endured all kinds of trials and sufferings to get there, King Saul and other stuff. And he's finally king. He's finally in Jerusalem. And it is not like Will Smith, Prince of Bel-Air, you know, to sit on my throne as the prince. Like, I was finally there to sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel-Air. Like, that's not it. Because the mm-hmm. second he gets his throne in Jerusalem, he starts getting attacked by the philistines and it happens over and over so it's just once you arrive and you receive the great promises and all that sort of stuff like for david it meant immediate challenge attack and suffering for jesus christ his whole life was basically challenge attack and suffering uh except for one nice moment where somebody wiped his feet with their hair and anointed him with perfume but for most of the part people were trying to kill him and yelling at him and you know giving him hassles and uh and then they kill him and so for the Christian, yeah, I think you're exactly right, Jake. There's this vision uh, that's deeply wound up with American society of sort of living the good life and what that looks like and all that, and pretty often very shallow understanding of what life is. And here Peter is talking about the reality for doing right and suffering. Like we tend to think you do right mm. and you won't suffer. Um, yeah. And uh, Why do bad things happen to good people? It's like, no, bad things happen to everybody. Also, nobody <laughs> yeah. is really good. Um, That's right. So uh, here he's pointing out, like, look, Christ suffered, and we follow mm-hmm. in his steps. And that there might, mm-hmm. and this is, I'm not saying like every cloud has a silver lining. We're not being simplistic or That's trite right. or whatever. Every rose has a thorn. Yeah, sing it. Motley Crue, Brett Michaels, praise God. Uh, no, that's poison. Oh, yeah, sorry. Thank you. Oh, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, the <laughs> Uh, just continuing. Uh, so anyways, I think the, the point I was going to say is um, there does seem to be, for the Christian, if Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith and the great shepherd for us, if we believe in Jesus Christ, there must be some sense in which we believe that God is not absent when we suffer, but actually is present and working in, through, and around it. Um and this is where Peter gets into this mystery of Jesus bearing his, in his body our sins and 
Um, so he's trying to use human language, finite human language, to talk about suffering, how God works in it. But his point is that if you are suffering, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you, because obviously God is working in suffering in Christ. Um, and that seems to be par for the course for the Christian. And he, and he ends with a note of real hope and optimism, because we have, he says, returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. So sheep may suffer, we may fall in a dish, ditch, we may go through difficult times, but the um, but the shepherd is there ultimately to, to protect Amen. us. That's good. Well, bringing us to the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, famous passage uh, about sheep and sheepfolds and thieves that might enter and gatekeepers. Um, there's a lot we could say. It mm-hmm. sort of moves to sounding like Jesus is the shepherd, but also he's the gate. What would you say about this gate and shepherd, Jesus Christ, in this passage in John 10? Yeah, I right from the get-go, Jesus is making a distinction between him and the religious leaders of the day. Um, and uh, just false religion, period. And, uh, and this is really... We get at it. So he is uh, the so the reason why sheep's and bandits. So you have to understand this gate with the pin that people would keep their sheep in is a very very narrow um, bin. And typically, what would happen would be um, the shepherd would sleep in between the gate. And so this is why thieves and bandits are always trying to go another way. You know, we want any other way besides Jesus. Mm. Um, this is it. You know, we want the, the quick fix. We want the long fix. We want a do-it-yourself kind of religion. And all of that stuff is religion of thieves and bandits, you know. Uh, and, uh, and basically, Jesus says, you know, it's a, it's a narrow gate, and uh, he is the gate because it's only by him by which eternal life is found. Mm. And, uh, and that um, each and every one of us, uh, we can hear his voice because all of us have kind of come to the end of dealing with uh, bandits and thieves and their um, snake oils, you know. I love, um, so I was watching a comedian, and he said, uh, it's amazing how language has changed in that essential used to mean snake. And so, but... Uh, Get it, snake oil. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, uh, I thought it was screamingly funny. So funny. anyway, but uh, but I think basically uh, those of us who have come to the end of our rope, the end of do-it-yourself religion and need some done religion, uh, we can hear the voice of the shepherd and we uh, hear his voice and it says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And so um, there it is. Yeah, I lo- there's there's um, one of my favorite verses, John ten ten. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Uh, mm. I still remember first hearing this this verse in youth group in high school and realizing that what I had thought all along is that you know Jesus came to make life worse. He came to make mm. to like be the giant buzzkill, the wet blanket from the sky, like just to ruin everybody's fun. But here he says, I came that people may have life and have it abundantly. Another translation, life to the full. Like, there's something really beautiful and powerful about what Jesus has come to do. It is a delusion and illusion of the world that uh, being apart from Jesus somehow means some kind of freedom or, you know, you can do whatever you want. But as Jesus says, that's that's the thief who ultimately comes to steal and kill and destroy. But what Jesus has come is to give full and true life and it's not just to lock you down he says they will come in and go out and find pasture like there's this movement from being in a place of safety in the sheep fold and then going out to the pasture and living life abundantly and then coming back into the fold and so there's like uh there's a rhythm to it 
coming to be um, protected and and fed and cared for and nurtured, and then going out into the world and in both mm. places finding that the shepherd is caring for you wh- wherever you are. Um, it's a beautiful picture. Um, one of the things we talked about in the past, and it's worth mentioning again, is um, I heard a speaker because Good Good Shepherd Sunday it's an annual thing. But um, for those of you new listeners that haven't heard me tell the story, uh, I heard a, a Christian writer speaker named Margaret Feinberg talk about a journey to meet with a shepherd once because she was trying to understand this parable and this spe- you know what the shepherds all over the Bible and. Uh, this shepherdess uh, takes uh, took Margaret Feinberg out to see her sheep, and they were far away on a hill. And the shepherd was speaking to Margaret in a very low whisper. And Margaret said, why are you whispering? And she said, because if the sheep hear my voice, they'll all come running. And she said, watch. And she just kind of said whatever she says, you know, here, sheepy, sheepy, some kind of call. And immediately all the sheep just start coming down the hill towards them. And uh, this is that everybody who was in Jesus's audience would have understood that because it is a thing. The sheep, it's not a figure of speech. The sheep do learn the voice of the shepherd and respond to it apart from all other voices. And so uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's something here about this intimate connection between the sheep and the shepherd and Jesus does. He knows our name, and he wants to speak this, to you, and he wants to speak to people in your congregation. And for the preacher, what I think some of what this means is um, the way you make your congregation understand that Jesus the shepherd knows their name is by use of illustration. I hear sermons so often that talk about some big theological truth, but never bring it down to earth, mm. never talk about what it actually means or what it looks like in a human life. Um you know, if you say God works through X or whatever, okay, what does that look like? Tell me, show me, tell me that Jesus knows mm-hmm. my name. Um, and if you can use some of those illustrations from real life, um, not in a voyeuristic way or a TMI or, you know, and by all means, if you use a real life story, disguise it and, and or get permission from the people who you're talking about or use illustrations from culture or whatever, but bring it down to real life. What does this look like? Tell people that Jesus actually does know their name. Mm. Yeah, I think the other thing too uh, to say also is that if um, if they are sheep, uh, sheep without a shepherd. I don't know if you know this, but I mean it's a terrible illustration. But our lunch—that's what—that's a sheep without a shepherd is lunch, or it um, just continues to grow hair so much, so much wool that it actually crushes itself under its own under its own weight. Sheep without a shepherd are actually helpless animals. Mm-hmm. And um, that is the truth. And uh, that um, the uh, good news of the gospel is, is that uh, if we're not the shepherds, that's such relief. Mm-hmm. I think so often we think in our life, we have to be in complete control. And this is how it connects that idea that I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is how it connects, I think, to that First Peter passage is that so much of First Peter, what he's writing to is people who are struggling. And when anybody is struggling, the instinct is to want to take control yeah. and, um, and uh, to remember that in the midst of your struggles in life, um, to, that you have a shepherd who continues to call you by name. You want a great illustration. There's a potter's field just right outside north of Manhattan, off uh, off the island of Manhattan and, and uh, the Bronx. And uh, it's called the, po- it's, it's a potter's field and it's called Heart Island. 
And uh, anyway, uh, one time I was invited out to Heart Island and basically it's where all like the homeless people they were unable to identify um, are buried. And it's where people who like, if you had a little baby and it died, it was a stillbirth and the mother couldn't deal with it and just to abandon the child. Um, it's where um, those, those babies were uh, buried as well. And there's little markers out there that they just have um, a number where um, there's a number that like they can identify like, okay, so this homeless guy died here and this is where he's buried. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, um, but in the center of one of those cemeteries is a giant like angel mm. with his hands like this outstretched. And down below it says, he knows them each by name. Mm. And uh, so these people have all been forgotten. These people have all been forgotten. And here's how it ties into 1 Peter. Your life, you may have felt forgotten uh, and overwhelmed by the suffering of life. But even in the most forsaken places, because Jesus went to the most forsaken place, there on a windy island called Heart Island, you know, I saw, um, he knows them each by name. And there in the midst of the winds and storms of your life, uh, that good shepherd knows your name and he calls you... Uh, by your first name, and you are his own, and he calls you, and you can hear that cry in the good news of the gospel as we gather around for the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and the prayers. Yeah, and you know, this is we don't often talk about the psalm, uh, but it's one that just echoes these ideas. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So even in the, in the midst, presence of my enemies. Yeah, in the midst of a difficult situation, again, as we talked about, suffering is par for the course. But even mm. still, God um, prepares, prepares a table uh, for you, because he knows your name. So, Good Shepherd Sunday, uh, that'll do it. And we'll see you again Next week, as we finish out the season of Easter, uh, we got two more in these great 50 days before we get to the Ascension and Pentecost. So um, summer's coming. Start hitting the tanning booth. Got to gotta do it up. And, um, and remember, the four things, intermittent fasting, low carbs, <laughs> kombucha. Green juice. Yep. Green juice. Yep. And may the Lord be with you. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.